The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only, and they are not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today, on The Lab Report, Pandit Dasa is here. Yeah, a motivational speaker, best-selling author, and a former monk. And we're going to talk about cultivating mindfulness in your life. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. I'm very excited. Duh, it's the holiday season. It's peppermint bark time. And Chex Mix time. What? Yeah, it's a holiday holiday treat, right? Hello! Hey, Michael Chapman. Hi, Patty Devers. How are you doing? I'm hungry now. It's a holiday treat in our household. (laughs) I don't know why. We only make the Chex Mix. Oh, homemade. Homemade. Oh, yeah. All right. Do you know there's Worcestershire sauce in that? Mmm, delicious. Worcestershire. Worcestershire. (laughs) Welcome to this podcast called The Lab Report. It's brought to you by Genova Diagnostics, and it's where we talk about things like functional medicine, specialty lab testing, Integrative therapeutics and how to pronounce Worcestershire. <laughs> and if you like how Michael pronounces Worcestershire sauce, please go to iTunes or Spotify and subscribe to the show. Rate and review. Leave us some feedback there. Yeah, leave us some stars. And if yeah. you have additional feedback, you can send it to podcast at gdx.net. And uh, it'll be a good time. And now I'm thinking you should probably bring us in some of this homemade Chex Mix, Michael. That's a good idea. We can just sit here and chew it <laughs> yeah, into the microphones on air. <laughs> For all those out there with misophonia, <laughs> tune in to it's our next episode. Well, let's talk about why you make Chex Mix around Christmas time. I don't know where this came That's from. odd. It was Chex Mix in one tin and mm-hmm. peanut brittle in the other tin. That was what, like, mm. as soon as December rolled around the calendar, my dad was firing those two things up. And he was like a machine, man. It was like a Ford assembly line, the <laughs> way that he would produce the peanut brittle <laughs> and the Chex Mix. It was, it was insane. Well, I guess you could put anything in a tin and make it festive, right? That's right. Oh, the tins. Yeah. So many tins around the holidays. I know, but you could really put anything in there, like Doritos, and be like, oh, these are the Christmas Doritos. Yeah. And we had, like, the big tins, you know, the ones that you get, like, the th- the tri-flavored oh, yes. popcorn in? Right. That's what we had, the, the Chex Mix, and that thing was filled to the brim. Wow. It was bottomless. What are you on about? We're on about just, you know, good times, Oliver. <laughs> but to your point, we right. should probably uh, move on. Yeah. Not only are we excited about the Chex Mix and the peppermint bark, but I'm excited about today's show and our awesome guest. Oh, we've got a good one lined up. We do. We have a really special guest today, Pandit Dasa. That's right. The urban monk. That's right. He's an international speaker on mindfulness, which is something we address a lot on this show. And what gives more credence to being an international speaker on mindfulness than being a former monk? See, that's what we do here at the Lab Report. We got to get don't, the guy. We don't just talk about mindfulness, ho-hum, ho-hum. No, right. we go out and we get people who are monks for decades. That's right. In, in multiple locations across this planet, including <laughs> New York City. Well, he wrote a very interesting book called Urban Monk, and now he spends his time giving lectures on mindful leadership to corporations around the world. So I think this is going to be a fun interview. Yeah, let's, uh, let's just get right into it. Pandit Dasa, Michael. 
I know. He's here. <laughs> it's amazing. I know. Well, Pandit Dasa is a mindful leadership expert, a motivational keynote speaker, and author. Pandit helps organizations improve employee engagement, retention, and workplace happiness. He does this by inspiring organizations to create a mindful workplace culture by encouraging his audience to lead by example, appreciate the contributions of the colleagues, communicate mindfully, and manage one's emotions. He helps individuals develop positive leadership qualities, lower stress and anxiety, increase focus and productivity, and boost emotional intelligence. His best-selling book, Urban Monk, describes his experience spending 15 years as a monk in the heart of New York City. Pandit's latest book, Closing the Apps, offers practical suggestions on being mindful in today's tech-filled world. Yeah, and I just, first and foremost, want to say yeah. thank you so much, thank Panda, you, for Panda. being here. <laughs> my pleasure. My pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you for reaching out. Yeah. You know, my first question is, um, <laughs> living in a monastery is not really a common dream for most kids. And in your book, Urban Monk, you lay out your amazing story uh, going into everything that's transpired with your immigrant parents' business in the Hollywood Hills and then suddenly moving to Bulgaria, of all places. So, <laughs> I mean, amid all that upheaval, like what led you to become a monk in the first place? Well, I think it was precisely that. It was all the upheavals yeah. <laughs> that kind right. of... Uh, I, you know, I think that becoming a monk is not a very straight and narrow path. Like, okay, you do this many credits of undergraduate degree, then you mm -hmm. kind of get a master's degree, and then you follow that, then you become, you know, PhD. I don't think there is a set path on how someone becomes a monk, and mine definitely was not a set path. It was a path that was sort of filled with, at least leading up to it, a lot of ups and downs, yeah. uh, sort of unpredictable lifestyle, uh, turbulence, all that good stuff, stuff that actually as difficult and as much as we want to avoid it all, it's stuff that um, makes us into who we are. Right. Um, and so it was a lot of introspection and reflection mm -hmm. on life and what life means and how temporary life is and can be. And uh, these sort of, you know, I topics were just swimming through my head as I was going through my ups and downs mm -hmm. And gradually led me to a monastery in Mumbai for a period of six months. I thought it was only going to be a month, mm -hmm. but I, I love that lifestyle so much. Uh, you know, the lifestyle of simplicity, humility, and service was sort of like the, the crux of what we were trying to learn. Yeah. And then I came back to New York, moved into a monastery in New York. Thought I'd spend me another six months there, but I ended up spending a total of 15 years <laughs> living as a monk again. It wasn't my life plan, and I doubt anyone ever plans on being a monk. I don't think yeah. any kids like growing up thinking like, you know, when I grow up, I want to be a monk <laughs> or a nun. Right. You know, I don't think that's like the normal path somebody chooses. It's sort of it's 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 hard to explain how someone should get, goes there because obviously, if you've been through some difficulties in life, you can go in many directions. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I happen to go in this one. I'm not fully sure I can explain all the nuances of everything that happened inside of me that made me want to become a monk, but I knew that I wanted to answers to the bigger questions in life. Sure. And I wasn't going to be happy living life the way sort of like we all do, grow up, go to school, get a job, get married, have kids. Not anything wrong with that, but I just needed a lot of answers before I could go down that path. Yeah. Yeah. And in your book, you talk about the Bhagavad Gita and its influence in a lot of this. And in my mind, I think, okay, you become a monk and now you're living in the midst of New York City. 
that's what's the biggest challenge you found living that mindful life in the middle of that bustling city? Well, just that, that it was bustling, right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the bustling nature of New York is in itself challenging. Like in the morning, you know, we, I was, uh, our monastery is right on first Avenue. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was literally next to a tattoo shop and the next three establishments were bars. Uh-huh. And so, you know, while I'm meditating at 4.30 a.m. or 5 a.m., especially on Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings, nightclubs are closing and the bars are closing. Wow. So people take their conversations and everything out under the sidewalk. So as I'm trying to meditate, hmm. I can hear sort of the int- very interesting 4 a.m. conversation that you would have <laughs> on the sidewalk of New York City on the Lower East Side sure. and trying to drown that out with my own meditation. So just being in an environment that is so busy, there's a million things going on. There's so much temptation of different types. Um, so all of that was a challenge. But the same challenge um, is a, when something is so challenging, it also makes people's lives really difficult because that can all seem exciting, but that excitement is a burnout type of excitement. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so there's a healthy excitement, and that's the kind of that. Then there's a burnout type of excitement, which is New York. Um, and, uh, and so when there were so many people all around us that were kind of going through burnout or these experiences, it also allowed me the facility or the opportunity to help individuals in a very busy environment, you know? Yeah. And did you do that? Was there a lot of outreach from, from your monastery in the middle of New York city? Yeah. I mean, for me specifically, I was doing a lot. Uh, I guess maybe it's my extroverted nature that kind of made me want to do that. I was specifically working with a lot of college students like hmm. at Columbia University, New York University, okay. um, those two universities. And I was on campuses, uh, these campuses several times a week dealing with students, sometimes faculty and staff as well, but most majority students helping them how to have that sort of like college life balance, mm-hmm. how to deal with their sort of like quarter life crisis, right, right. <laughs> you know, just how to deal with just like work life balance and stress management, meditation, teaching them all of these things, how to live healthy, how to think healthy and just sort of treat the, the, the difficult things that we're going through, treat them as like tests in your life and don't see them as negative problems in your life like oh why is this happening to me no okay great this is happening to me i'm going to grow from it it's mm-hmm. like when you take a final exam you're scared but you're also excited because you get to move to the next grade right yeah right. I, I also think about you know on the flip side you sitting there meditating and having all these distractions it's also the challenge also becomes part of the practice too where ultimately that that makes your practice stronger by having to sort of do it in the middle of new york city yeah you know, anytime we increase the obstacles in our life or our obstacles increase naturally, that strengthens us if we wanted to. Like if you only go to the gym and re- lift 10 pounds mm-hmm. you're n- and you never add weight to that, mm-hmm. yeah. then you're never going to be able to lift more. Mm-hmm. And so or if you want to run a marathon, you can't run a marathon just by running two miles every day. Right. Right? You got to add and then adding weight or adding distance is difficult. Um, and it it creates a challenge, but that's what ultimately allows us to grow. So yes, being in that difficult situation 
you you know it definitely helps you strengthen your practice uh, in, in some ways you know yeah. right yeah. right and what were some of the things that led into your decision to leave the monastery and no longer uh, be a monk what what were some of those factors well I think the, one of the biggest was that I just you know after a certain after doing that for like thirteen or fourteen years. I wanted to take everything I'd learned and share it with a broader society, uh, mm-hmm. with, with corporate America. So I'm like, I can have worked with college students for 12, 13 years. I, and I've learned so much. I've got so much more to give to, you know, people who are in the world working, paying their bills and struggling with all kinds of other situations. And I just want, I just actually had a desire to take it to the broader public uh, in society mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, that was kind of like, a a big factor mm-hmm. in me wanting to take it out of the monastic life or leaving the monastic life, because I, I don't think I'd be so welcomed in a corporation, uh, dressed as a monk. You know? <laughs> uh, I just don't think corporations were ready for that at that time. And I still don't know if they're ready for it, maybe a little bit more ready for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew that if I needed to make, um, a broader outreach of my messages, the things that I've learned, I'd probably need to look and dress the way everyone else does. Got it, got it. And and we know that you currently do speak to major corporations across the globe on mindful leadership and teamwork, and a lot of that work can be translated to our family life and interpersonal relationships, but what do you think are some of the main aspects that cultivate a successful team? Well, I think one key thing is, uh, one of the key ways to uh, have that successful team is being able to, on a regular basis, appreciate each other's contributions and celebrate each other's success. Hmm. And too often, we're too busy competing with one another. Right. Uh, And then when we compete with one another, we don't notice necessarily the positive contributions that are being made by our colleagues. Hmm. Because we we just want to outdo everyone. We want to be the best one. We want to be number one. And when we are too overly motivated by that, then we don't take the time to stop and look at the positive contributions that they're making, how they're helping. Maybe what they're doing is also helping me grow. Maybe what they're doing is also adding to my success. So, you know, it's taking the time out to recognize and appreciate the contributions of our colleagues. And when they succeed, even if you were competing with them, even if you were in competition with them, taking the time out to just appreciate them for what they've done. Mm-hmm. And that's what creates trust. Like when they see that, wow, you actually genuinely came up to them and congratulated them, it, it lets them know that they can trust you. And then when you need help, there's a better chance that they'll step up to help. You know, so I think that, you know, being being there for one another is really important. You know, like this, um, like the redwood trees in Northern California, mm-hmm. uh, there's some of the tallest trees are like two, 300 feet tall. Uh, and they're like, can be like six, 10, 12 feet wide. Um, but you know what? Their roots are really, really shallow. Their roots only go down like six or 12 feet. <laughs> no such huge trees. Wow. They hardly have any roots. And you wonder how they stay, you know, standing even amidst all the storms. And what's happening is underground, they actually reach out to the roots of other trees mm-hmm. uh, and they grab one another. And this is mm-hmm. how over hundreds of years they can survive. So I think it's a powerful lesson to learn from nature yeah. is that if we just reach out to each other in humility and with all good intention uh, and support one another and, you know, instead of just like in a negative way, competing with one another, trying to outdo one another, just reach out and support and encourage, 
what happens is the team grows and as of course the company grows in a very powerful way yeah that's profound yeah absolutely and uh, very different than what i think we're a lot of us are used to so in, in the corporate world right yeah super interesting another thing that major corporations are finding because of the pandemic and so many of the employees are working remotely so do you have any suggestions on how people can remain connected and motivated maybe when they're they're not physically part of a team like they were I think uh, one thing that we can do is, even though we're not physically part of a team, is to be able to reach out to our colleagues. And if you're in a management position, obviously, to reaching out to direct reports and getting in the habit of having non-work-related conversations with our colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um, just like, just find out how they're doing. Yeah. You know, see how their family's doing. What's happening in their life. And, you know, imagine a manager doing that. For somebody that's powerful that person feels like wow they're really valued and not just for their work mm-hmm. but for them as a person as a human being so i think one way powerful way to stay connected with each other is just to have non-work related conversations with our colleagues uh, like we would over like uh you know over a coffee break or a lunch break normally mm-hmm. you just reach out say hey i just want to connect see how you're doing how's your family doing how are you coping with everything what are, what have been some of your challenges and just making that part of our regular routine, I think that's also a powerful way to show that we care for each other beyond just like numbers and uh, productivity, that we're, we're caring for each other because we value each other as people yeah. and that we have lives outside of work and we also value those lives. And, and if we can start regularly connecting and touching base with each other, then it also prevents us from like, uh, you know, just being too quick to judge someone, like maybe someone's not performing at the level they used to. And if we don't know anything about their life, then we might just judge them. But if we do, we might understand that, oh, maybe, you know, maybe one of their family members is in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Maybe a spouse lost a job. Um, Maybe they're just going through some depression or something like that. Uh, So as opposed to being quick to judge, staying in touch with each other can prevent us from judging somebody uh, just in a way that's not productive and helpful, but maybe it helps us become more empathetic towards what they're going through and helps us develop greater empathy. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one way empathy and just checking in with one another can help us remain more connected, even though we're physically not connected right now. Yeah, I love that. You know, and speaking of the pandemic and everyone worried about their immune system here in functional medicine and specifically on this podcast, we speak about the health implications of chronic stress a lot. And our society is full of distractions. Can you talk to us about your latest book called Closing the Apps and some of the main messages we should take away from reading that? Yeah, I mean, you know, stress, there isn't any part of our body and mind that stress doesn't impact in a huge way. Like, it's straight up, stress just attacks everything in the body. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I talk about in my book, Closing the Apps, I I compare our mind to a smart device. So like, for example, on our smart device, when we have too many apps open, naturally what happens is the smart device freezes up, the batteries are drained. And then, you know, I ask a question in my book. I ask like, how many apps do you think are open in your mind right now? Hmm. (laughs) And, you know, right right there, (laughs) you kind of have to pause. You're like, wait a second. Oh, my God. Uh, You know, so um, there's a lot going on in our mind. And I'm like... Unless we can close out those apps, it'll the, all those thoughts are going to drain our mental and emotional battery. Right. 
Wow, that's great. That's such a great analogy. I I have so many apps open in my mind (laughs) that I can't even answer the question. Yeah, exactly. And you know, when I do these talks and the chat's enabled, I ask people this question. You know, you can see there's a 10-second pause where no one answers, Uh and then the chat goes crazy, like (laughs) putting it. Because people all of a sudden, we've never thought about the idea that I have apps open in my mind. Like, Hmm. we just never thought of that. And now all of a sudden, um, you know, we are thinking about, oh my gosh, I've got all these apps open. And then you realize there's actually many more inside. And then, the, the, you know, it's like when you look at the stars on a dark night, the longer you stare at the stars, the more stars you see. Yeah. Hmm. That's what happens in our mind. When you start to take note, you realize I have apps open here, in here from five or 10 years ago that I haven't allowed them to close. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, and it's it makes me think about some of the research that's demonstrated how, at the end of the day, our ability to multitask might be a little bit of a misnomer and is not something that we actually, as humans, do very well. But yet we're we're asked to do it so regularly. You know, what are some of the techniques or tools that to, that people can take away that might help them close some of these apps? Yeah, yeah. I mean, glad you mentioned that whole idea of multitasking. You know, uh, if multitask, if if our brain was able to multitask, then there wouldn't be a law against texting and driving. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, I think you know, I think maybe that's a, a poster that should be put up in every manager's office that's asking their people to do multitasking. Mm-hmm. So, like, you see that poster that tells us that there's a reason we can't do it. Right. <laughs> you know? right. But with that activity, we kill ourselves or we kill others or we go to jail. Like that's how like multi you know, like multitasking is basically like your your brain on like you're almost like inebriated. Your brain just can't focus actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so your body reacts in that way, like you've just taken alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, it just can't focus on two things. And I think one thing is uh, really just you know, with mindfulness, we learn to bring our mind uh, into the present moment. And that means we realize that, okay, the task I'm focusing on, that's what I'm going to focus on. I have other things. I'm going to take notes, write down what I have to do, but I'm not going to jump to this other task until I finish with mine. Because what happens is, you know, multitaskers end up also like losing a lot of time and they make more mistakes because you're jumping from task to task. And then what happens is you're on the task, you're doing, you're engaging in one task and then you have to stop that. And now you go to the other one. And then, and then now you come back to the first one that you were doing and you can't remember exactly where you finished off. So you have to, that, that all this time is wasted figuring out where you left off and continuing on there. So really having the discipline to say, you know, I'm going to finish one thing and then go to another. It's almost like when you're on a highway, do you get to your destination faster by taking every exit or taking no exits? Hmm. Right. 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 Yeah. So when you just stay on the highway, you'll get there faster and you'll, you're already on the highway. You're focused you'll get it done with more efficiency and more accuracy. And so try to remember that analogy of the highway, that mm. finishing your task, you're on this highway of this task. Let's, I mean, unless there's something urgent and emergency shows up and you need to jump, right. fine. Right. Mm-hmm. But other than that, your mind is going to tempt you like anything to jump to the other task. It's really going to just tempt you like anything. And we need to have a conversation with our mind, like train it like we would a puppy. It's like, no, you're going to sit, until I say it's time to eat, or I say it's time to run, or I say it's time to do whatever else. Right? If we don't train that mind, which is like a puppy, it's going to make a mess in our entire home. 
Hmm. And our mind has already made enough of a mess in our life. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that we need to train our mind to be a good puppy, to sit still until we finish what we're doing. You know, I don't know if you've seen, I've seen these uh, videos on Facebook that are really nice. Like this this person, they're like 10 dogs and they've trained every single one that when they call that dog's name, only then does that dog come and start eating. (laughs) It's it's a really cute video. And then they say, then then this lady calls the other dog and you can see they're all a little impatient, but they're waiting. They've been trained. We're going to wait until our name is called. And then they run up to their bowl and they start eating, you know, and all of them, you can see they want to move. They're like ready because the bowls are ready actually, but they don't until she calls them. We need to be able to train our mind. No, I'm finishing this and then I'm going to the next one. And you can, in the meantime, you can write down some notes on what you have to do so you don't get distracted. Like, oh, I don't want to forget it. Okay, just write it down then. Right, right. right. And it's just, it's really difficult because not only do we have so many apps open in our mind and we're attempting to multitask either in our personal lives or professionally, but then we've got all this technology and social media that just seems to, to put gasoline on the fire of this tendency towards, you know, uh, uh, attention distraction. Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, it's just really challenging these days with respect to the technology as well. But then the other part of that too, Michael, is that in this time of the pandemic, people are really dependent on connecting with others through some of these social media apps. So where's the line there, Pandit? I think the line is different for every single person um, in one sense. You know, uh, I think one thing we, we can maybe train ourselves to do is at certain times of the day to not in, in, be involved with our devices. Like the first thing we shouldn't do when we wake up is reach for our device and check the news yeah. or reach for our device. Like we're still in bed. We still haven't gained full consciousness and we're already reaching for our device, right? I think we've all experienced this. Yes. <laughs> one <laughs> eye is open, the other one closed. <laughs> You're le- reaching out with your hand, feeling where the phone is, right? Grabbing it with that one eye open, we're looking at it, right? right. <laughs> and like, do we really need to see it right then and there? Do we really need to read news and remember if we're reading news in the morning news is usually makes it anything that makes the news is usually negative mm-hmm. right? right then the, the stations don't make money from positive news people have tried that it didn't work so just keep that in mind if we're checking the news in the morning and negative news is shown to lower productivity because it brings your mood down even if we don't realize it so let's draw the line in this that we're not going to check our emails right when we're in bed right, where we're going to sleep or we're waking up and we're not going to read negative news in the morning. And then let's see if you can take your breaks while during work. Take a 10-minute walk. Leave your phone behind. What's mm. going to happen in 10 minutes? If the world was going to end, your phone's not going to do you much good anyways. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's okay. At least, you know, you know, you left in peace looking at nature as opposed to your phone. <laughs> exactly. I'd, rather, I'd rather leave looking at the trees and sky than at my screen, right? Right. Yes. If I'm going to look at a blue screen, I'd rather look at the blue sky, not the blue screen. That's right. Well, currently, I mean, I know you're you're on your speaking circuit right now. What are your current mindful practices? Are you, do you still meditate daily, or do you have different mindful techniques you use through the day? Yeah, I have. Um, I do mindfulness practices every single day. I have been doing them for about twenty-two years. Every single day. Um, you know, I do a variety of breathing exercises and focusing exercises. The breathing exercises really help de-stress the mind and the body. It, they literally just help decrease stress from the body and mind. Mm-hmm. And the focusing help uh, exercises help us increase our concentration, be able to focus on one 
thing. That means I'm able to focus on one conversation. You know, I think we've all had this experience, happened to me plenty of times, it still does, where you're talking with someone and your mind says, you know what, I'm going to go for a little walk. Right. <laughs> and then it comes back 30 seconds later and you realize you didn't hear anything the person just said. Right. And now you're in like a bit of a quandary, like, oh my gosh, should I ask <laughs> them to repeat this? Right. But, but it's going to make me look kind of foolish if I do. So, so the, then I do concentration exercises, focusing exercises. I do some gratitude meditations during this, especially during this difficult time when right. we can all get overwhelmed. I've gotten overwhelmed plenty of times with all of this sort of like social isolation. Just feel continuing to feel grateful for what's happening in my life right now, for the difficult things and the pleasant things. Being grateful for everything because the difficult things actually are our best teachers, we know. Mm-hmm. Um, so staying grateful and positive for all of that. And I know it's never going to be po- always possible to always be positive. I am not always positive. But all of these things, the breathing exercises, the focusing exercises, I go on walks, um, gratitude meditations, all of these. These are the same techniques that I teach when I do virtual webinars for companies. And these are the same things that I practice myself. Of course, on my own practice, I do a bunch of other stuff too, which I don't have time to talk about all of that. But yeah, <laughs> right. whatever I teach, I also practice myself. I love that. That's excellent. That's tremendously useful. Um, and Pina, I just have to say thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your knowledge and experience with us. Um, I want to encourage everyone to check out your best-selling book, Urban Monk, as well as Closing the Apps. And just uh, thank you so much for your for your time. We're and, honored. We're so uh, honored, Panda. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And I don't know if I can, but I'm happy to give my website, PanditDasa.com, in case somebody wants to look me up uh, and reach out and connect. Perfectly. And we'll include all that information in the show notes. And uh, thank you again. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. You know what's interesting, Michael? What's that? Whenever we interview someone on mindfulness, like Pandit Dasa or Brad Lichtenstein, I noticed through the interview, we start speaking more slowly yeah. and softer. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it's like this wave of calm right? washes across, like even over the airwaves. Right. And uh, it's a nice respite. It is. Maybe that should be telling us something. Maybe that should be an indication that should, we should maybe rev down our... Yeah our vibration a little bit. Yeah. And I think to Pandit's point, maybe start closing some of the apps you have open in your brain. And it just gets me thinking about multitasking in general. Right. And how problematic it is and how much we think we need to do it, how much we rely on it. And how, how people think they're actually good at it when in fact you're not mindful in anything you're doing. So in essence, you're not good at any of it. When I was studying for the boards, Oh boy. I used to listen to a podcast while studying, while watching a sports game on television. You were much younger then too, Michael. I had a lot more cognitive flexibility. Correct. What happened? Checks mix. Next time on The Lab Report, Dr. Ben Bickman. Yeah, talk about a metabolic genius. He is a metabolic genius, and he's going to talk to us about why we get sick. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. You know what's funny about those popcorn tins? What's that? They're so universal. I think everyone grew up with those oh, totally. tins that had three different types of popcorn in them. Absolutely, absolutely. Right?
And the other funny thing what? is that the act, the normal buttered popcorn is the one that everyone ate last. Oh yeah, go and for the caramel. And how go for like the cheesy popcorn? How how consumeristic is that? Where we're like, you know, popcorn's great and all, but I got an idea. <laughs> Let's cover it in caramel. I have another section where we cover the popcorn and cheese. 